At this time, we're going to get ready to receive our tithes and offerings. So ushers, if you could please prepare for that. And I'm excited because in just a little over a week, uh, we're going to take our youth, uh, 51 youth, to Spencer's Beach Park for our Elevate Camp. And it's going to be an amazing, amazing week. And I love, I love when we have camps for our youth because there's just so much things that happens. But to be completely honest, the day that I always look forward to is the last day. And no, it's not because I get to finally come home, sleep in my own bed, and not be surrounded by crazy teenagers all week. But it's because when we come back home from camp, we get to experience all the, all the changes that those youth went through in those days. In fact, I remember last year during our spring break camp, we had this one girl, and she was actually a foster child. And her foster parent came to me and said, you know, I don't know about her going to camp. You know, she's really, she's really uh, to herself. She doesn't really you know, talk stories with anybody, and she was a really shy girl. And so I told her, you know what, I guarantee you, if she goes to camp, things are going to change. And so Friday, we came back from that camp, and, and the foster mom was there to pick up her, her foster child, and I told her, Chai, look at your daughter. Chai, look, Chai, look at her right now. And I told her that because there was this huge smile on her face. And she was talking stories. She had made friends at camp. And I told her, you know what, that's because Jesus wanted her to go. Because he changes lives. And I know some of you are here and you give to our camps. You give so that our youth can make a way to get to those camps so that they can experience life-changing moments just like that. And so from our relentless youth, all our leaders, and from myself, we just want to say thank you to those who give. Because what a joy it is that we get to see the lives being changed. We get to see eternities being impacted. And that's what happens when we give our tithes and offerings to the Lord. What's so awesome is that he, he lets us be a part of his plan to change people's lives. We get to partner with him as he changes the stories of, our, of people. And as we give unto him, we get to be part of that. Now, you might, be, you might be visiting us for the very first time, and if that's you, we ask that you don't feel obligated to give this morning. Just receive. Maybe you're visiting us from another church, and we just want to encourage you to continually give wherever you attend service regularly. But if New Hope Church is where you attend service regularly, if this is where you call home, would you know that as we give him our tithes and offerings, he's going to take it, and he's going to do great things with it because he is a great God. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray for our tithes and offerings this morning? Lord, we just come before you right now, Lord, and we just thank you so much for being that great God that you are. That, Lord, you receive our tithes and offerings and you take them and you multiply it so that more and more people can have their lives changed because of how much you love them. And, Lord, what a joy and privilege it is for us to be partnering with you to do exactly that. When we see lives change, when we see people find love and find hope in you, Lord, their lives are forever impacted for all of eternity and we get to be a part of that and so lord i pray that this morning as we give you our tithes and offerings lord we do so with a cheerful heart knowing that what you do with it has eternal rewards and we're to be and we get to be a part of that plan and so lord we give it to you we thank you lord and we continuously look forward to what you're going to do in the lives of your people we love you lord and we pray this all in jesus name amen amen thank you pastor ben by the way what's the wi-fi again it was nhhh NH N-H-H-H. And the Wi-Fi password. And, and the password is NHC at 840 exclamation mark. Okay. Actually, it's NHC 
at 840. Great, NHC. Yeah, right? NHC. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> That's what I said, right? Okay. We just want to confuse you. Sorry. <laughs> Did we just confuse you all already? You're like, I'm already in. Get on with the message. <laughs> but I have Pastor Marsha and Anella up here because we are continuing and actually concluding our series today on Forward Together, knowing that this partnership with God is what He wants. That sometimes we have the mentality of, I want to live my life how I want to, apart from God, but God says, I have the greatest partnership available to you to partner with Him in the life that He has given to us. So today we're going to be talking about the greatest partnership, because with God, that is the greatest partnership that you and I could ever have, and it's connecting with Him so that we can reach our fullest potential. And the reason why I have Pastor Marsha and Anella up here is because, Pastor Marsha, you serve at our information right. center, and Anella, you serve in our front lines, which is our worship area, but you also do graphics and things like that. And in our bulletin is an invitation, and we're going to talk a little bit about this and the right. heart behind it. Right. So the heart behind it is that it's, it's a door opener. You know, sometimes you're talking to people, they have a question, they have um, maybe a need, something they're going through, and you want to invite them to church. And it's so easy to say, hey, let me invite you to something great that's happening. This is where I found hope. And the best part, all the information's on the back. Because sometimes we forget, or they can take it, put it on the refrigerator, in their pocket actually fits, um, or in their car, so they know when and where to come to church. Okay. So. Yes, so invitations, oftentimes we just tell somebody, just come over or come. We want you to come, but we don't give them like a time or a place or mm. what. And it's more personal when you actually give an invite to somebody, especially like parties. We normally just say, oh, just come. But with an invitation, you actually give an invitation to somebody to say, here, we really want you to come. Yeah, sometimes people need that, that, that permission you know, we don't just show up at parties, right? We, we are invited. Yeah, you do, yeah. but <laughs> some of you do. <laughs> that's kind of, that's impressive. You just show up at the party. Hey, everybody, I like to eat. And most likely you know someone, but most of the time you're invited to a party. And when you're invited and you have that uh, personal invitation, then it, it, it just means something. And so that's the heart behind it too. It's a personal invitation to invite someone to church. And we don't know what they're going through. They could be going through anything, and I know we have a phrase that we use that everything is attached to a soul. Explain that a little bit. Well, well for me, sorry, for me, when I do graphics, especially invites, we know the heart and vision behind the invite. So every time I look at an invite and I, and I know it's coming up, I remember that there's a soul attached to everything that we produce, especially for graphics. The heart and vision should be from the first thing that they see, mm. and that's an invitation. Yeah. Right, and then there are people, like we said, who are struggling. They're going through different seasons of life. They have questions. Um, that's the soul part of it. And, you know, we were here, anybody who was here last week, we heard Kat say that her sister gave her invitation after invitation after invitation, and finally there's one that stuck, and here she is today. Yeah, see, I was forced to church. So I didn't get invited. I was told I was going to church, which some of you, you're here today, and you're like, but that's me. She told me I got to go to church, or else I'm not going to see daylight. You know, you have some type, of, uh, some type of reason or how you came to church, but this invitation is something personal. And that's why we wanted to present this to you and give you the heart behind it, as well as on our church app, you can download a digital copy just in case you lose this, or you're able to text someone because you may not see them personally 
uh, to give them a physical invitation. But if you download the picture, the graphic, then you can you always have it with you, and then you can text someone, or if God puts someone on your heart, you can text them the invitation, and personally do that. That's, that, I think that's the heart behind it. It's not a mass blanket where you just post it on Facebook and you say, hey, come to church. It's, I want to invite you, Marsha. I want to invite you, Anella, to come to church on Easter Sunday, and we're talking about uh, being redeemed for a reason. In other words, we all have a purpose, and that God doesn't just have an Easter service at church just to celebrate Easter. He's reminding us that we've all been redeemed with a purpose. So that's kind of the heart behind it. Uh, anything else you needed to share about the invitation? No, but we do have them at the information center if you want to come pick them up. Okay. We, we do have people that have done that, and they take groups to give to like their classmates and things like that. Yeah, I think that's the... Oh, there's one side thing that I want to present because I don't think we thought of this, but there is, there is something that we got to use discernment on. And it's when people are working, let's just say you go into your favorite coffee shop and you say, hey, I want to invite you to church. Sometimes it's difficult for that person to receive it because they're working. And sometimes we put them in an awkward position. So just use your discernment how you invite people. Uh, and at the same time, uh, be open to when God speaks to you who you're going to invite. And you have family members that have yet to come to know Jesus. And that's what today is about. We're going to be talking about the greatest partnership. So can we say thank you to Anella and Pastor Marsha for sharing this morning? I appreciate it. And you can take out your notes or your church app. And for some of us, whenever we come to church, we're, we're ready for what God is going to speak. We're ready for what he is going to say. Some of us walk in and we're, we're maybe coming from work or a busy season or we're in a difficult season. Well, today as we conclude, we're going to be learning about how we partner with God and why we partner with Him and what we're partnering Him with because there are certain things that take place in life that might go over our heads if we never understand this partnership with God. And whenever we partner with God, which is the greatest partnership, He gives us His spirit, His strength, His wisdom, and direction in where we should go and how we should live. And sometimes it seems like, but is that controlling? Is that, like, I thought there was freedom in God. Absolutely. There is more freedom knowing who we are in God than there is not being with God and just living out there in the world because we find ourselves imprisoned in whatever we go through in life whenever we, we drift from God. So God gives us freedom, and it's freedom in Christ. So this series that we're concluding is all about connecting with God and not walking through life by ourselves. In fact, when Jesus was, when he died on the cross and he rose from the grave and he was giving his, his, almost like his last speech to his disciples, he gave them clear instruction. And I'm thinking, what would be my last words if it was my last time here on this earth or maybe on my deathbed? Like, what would we say to our loved ones? What would we say to our students if you're a teacher? What would you say to your students? Because this is what was happening with Jesus his disciples were like his students. And so what would you say if this was your last breath or the last time you're going to give instruction? Uh, sometimes I think, you know, maybe on my deathbed I would say, you know, honey, I love you <laughs> forever. And maybe we would say things like that or, oh, take care of kids. Then. Or uh, I don't know I'm speaking like that. but uh, or, or, you know, take, take care of, of the family. Or, hey, no, spend all the money. Yeah. No, sell the house. I don't know what I would say, but Jesus said something that was so crystal clear and precise that we still talk about it today. 
And it's found in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. We know it as the Great Commission. And the reason why it's the Great Commission is because Jesus was giving us an instruction that ushered us to do something. He gave us a command. And whenever Jesus command, commands something, there's a reason for it. There's a, a deep spiritual meaning for it and an eternal one. When he has to command something, what he's saying is, this is not based on feeling. It's not based on intellect. It's not based on if you know how to. It's based upon my command to you. And don't forget, I will be with you. And in Matthew chapter 28, in verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. The disciples were Jesus' followers. And he had 11, well, 12, and one uh, ended his life because he was going through so much emotion. And so now you have the 11 left. And these are the ones Jesus really poured his life into and his ministry into so that they would carry on the ministry. So these 11 disciples went to Galilee where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Imagine that, that even after the death of Jesus and his resurrection, you still had some of the disciples doubting. And the disciples saw all the miracles. They saw him walk on water, and they still doubted. It's amazing that our humanity, our flesh, still doubts God even after he shows us miracle after miracle after miracle. So now some of them are doubting. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Notice he didn't say, hey, stop doubting. Look, I'm real. He just was crystal clear. He said, listen, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, like he's switching the gears now, he's saying, because of the authority that has been given to me, this is what you do now. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And that last sentence that Jesus gave is probably the most encouraging. Because how often we get discouraged in life, we have our doubts, and we go through our seasons of darkness. And Jesus said, you're going to go through that, but just remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And you have all the power and strength to go into the world and reach people for me. Why? Because I am with you always to the end of the age. Peter, who was one of his disciples, was probably the one who knew the heart of Christ in such a way that he knew that when Jesus said to go into all the world, reach people for me, baptize them. When Peter is thinking through all of this, I'm sure Peter is the one who's thinking there is more to it than just going out into the world. There has to be more than just talking about the gospel. What is it about you, Jesus, that makes the difference between any other good news? Because that's what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news. And Peter captured it. It's found in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. And we're going to read this together. It's on your notes or here on the screen. We're going to read it together. Ready? Go. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. No, God's one desire, his one desire is that we would all come to repentance, that none shall perish. That's why he came in flesh. 
That's why Jesus came, because God's one desire is that no one would be eternally separated from him. So he said, I'm going to, I'm going to pave the way and pay the way for sin, all sin of mankind, so that anyone can find me, regardless of their past or their present behavior, because God is more concerned about where we're heading than where we've been or where we are today. And so Peter writes this. He writes two letters, and we have it even still today in the Bible, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. The first letter Peter writes was a response to learning that the churches were being persecuted, and they were in certain Roman provinces where false teachers were showing up, and, and they were experiencing this persecution, and he, he wrote to them to urge them to stay faithful. And he still says that today. He's still encouraging us today. Stay faithful in your belief in God. Well, you, you might be like the people he was writing to, that they were thinking, but Jesus said he was going to come back. And it's been years since he's come back. So because the people were not thinking Jesus was coming back, they felt, you know what, since he's not coming back, then there's not going to be any judgment day. And because there's not going to be any judgment day, I might as well live how I want to live. And so the people were living immoral lives. They were choosing whatever they wanted to do. And so some of them were straying away from their faith. And they just did whatever they wanted to do. I used to think like that. I used to think this. This was, this was my plan. My plan was this. I can live however I want to. And then just before I die, I say, Jesus, forgive me for all of my sins. And then I die, and then I, I will go to heaven. But I, at least I had fun all my life. The second option was, okay, right before Jesus comes back, then I'll say, sorry for everything I did. Forgive me for all my sins. You got to take me to heaven. And that was my plan. My plan was before life ended here on earth or before Jesus came back, I would repent, which means turn from my ways. I would ask God for forgiveness. That way I could live my life however I wanted to. How's that plan? Yeah, once I found out two things that, one, I don't know when I'm going to die or when Jesus is coming back, I thought, ah, junk my plan. It's not going to work. So the better plan is, Lord, where, where, where am I today with you? And kind of have that evaluation and then say, Lord, here it is. I, I want to live for you. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm being perfected. And that's what the people were experiencing they were saying, well, because he didn't come back yet, I might as well live how I want to live. And then Peter, Peter addresses that. He says, you know, the Lord is not slow in his return, as some count slowness. The delay that he has, the reason why he's delayed in his coming back, because he could come back at any time. Here's the reason why he's delaying. This is what Peter is saying. He's saying the reason why he's delaying is because he doesn't want to spend eternity without the people that don't know him right now. He does not want to spend eternity without those people. God loves the world so much that he is slow or delaying in his return because there are billions of people who do not know him and many in our own city, in our own families. Imagine that, that Jesus cares about your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your child, so much so that he's saying, I'm waiting for them before I return because they don't know me yet. I don't want to be eternally separated or, or I don't want them to be eternally separated from me. So Jesus waits for our family members to come to know him as Lord and Savior. That's how brilliant he, he is and that's how patient he is. But for us, we're not patient. I've heard it said before, Jesus, just come back because we're fine. 
as believers, they're saying the world is going terrible. It's horrible. Terrorism, school shootings, Lord, just come back already. And he's saying, but there are still yet people to be reached. Over 3 billion people still have yet to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. God has probably already put someone on your heart in who you get to invite to church or that you get to be a witness to. I know for some people, they'll say, I will never step foot in church. That's fine. God is going to give us three ways in how we can connect with him and be, the greatest, be in the greatest partnership because there are some ways that we can still bring in the gospel to people who don't want to hear it or who would say, I'm not going to go to church. And the first one we're going to look at is this thing called love. If you want to write that in, you can do so. This is our response. Our connection with God is love. This is how we partner with God. We partner with God in love. Because people, just think about it. People, people will reject religion. People, and people have done that. And they might reject religion. They might reject a church. They might reject a belief. But there's one thing that people very rarely reject. And it's love. People very rarely reject love. And if you love someone so much so with the love of God, they're going to be connecting with God without even knowing it. In other words, because you're loving them, you're encouraging them, you're, you're building them up. Not, not to uh, just bring, bring a false hope, but what you're saying is God loves me and he loves you through me. You may not be saying that to them, to them but what you're saying is, you're that valuable to God, therefore I value you too. And so with the love of God, we love people. This is, in fact, this one word, love, is how Jesus said to his disciples how people will recognize you. Really? As his disciple? Yep, they're not going to recognize me because I wear a t-shirt that says Jesus is love? Nope, that's not how they're going to recognize you. What about the church I go to? Nope, that's not how they're going to recognize you. What if I post it on Facebook, scripture and things like that, and Instagram? Then they'll know that I'm one of you, a follower of you. Nope, that's not how they're going to know. Anyone can do that. Well, how are they going to know that I belong to you? Well, here it is, John 13, 35. Let's read it together. Ready? Go. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have, if you have what? Love for one another. Not just love, like you got to actually love people. So in, even in your very own family, that's where it begins. He says, I've given you this family to practice. That's why you have a spouse. That's why you have someone in your household. That's why you had parents or children. Because God wants us to practice this love. And sometimes people will say, well, I don't want to go to church because they're a bunch of hypocrites. They're all fake at church. Well, there is one thing I got to say at church that, that, that I, I, I do see is that we're not this well-behaved at home. We're not. I mean, look how well-behaved we are. Look at you as married couple. You're not even fighting. Well, maybe you are, but you're not saying it right now. But we're so well-behaved in church. And, and this is what I understand. For Heidi and I, whenever we would fight... And we would come to church and we wouldn't, wouldn't hold hands and we would just smile and, oh, good morning to people. The Lord is showing Heidi and I how we're supposed to be at home. That's what happens for myself in church. If I'm being kind to all of you here at church, but I'm not like that with Heidi, then God is saying, you know how you are in church? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know how kind you are? Yes, 
I thank you for being so loving. Oh, thank you, God. No, thank you for loving me. No, the way you treat people, the way you greet people. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Yeah, yeah, I do this for your glory. Yeah, the way you love children. Yeah, I love the children. You said welcome the children to you. Yeah, you know how you love people, embrace them, and, and you speak so well of them? Yes, you're supposed to be like that at home too. Oh, oh, yeah, so take what you're practicing at church and then now do that in the world. That's what I think. I think this is like our, our practice time. Because even parents at church, you're so, so well-behaved with your children. Like your children, they don't know. They just run amok. They don't know. what. I mean, they try their very best. But we're so respectful in church. We're kind. Not because we're a facade. Not because we're, we're trying to be fake. But I think it's because we're trying to practice how we should be at home and out there in the world. Because this is why God says to come together in love. Because everything else we'll, we do will absolutely fail. Everything we do. But there is one thing that never fails. And 1 Corinthians tells us what it is. Let's read this together. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Here we go. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into an account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and loudly, love never fails. Everything else we do, if not done in love, will fail at best. Everything we do, if not done in love, will fail at best. I, I've, I've, we failed many times when, when we do things that we forget about God's love. Technology fails us. We fail to give proper instruction. So we'll fail at many things, but when love is attached to it, love never fails. You, when we first was, when we were changing over our system in our uh, children's wing, when we were doing the new check-in, and some of you parents, you were a part of this new change, and we were doing this new change so that we could streamline everything and bring more safety to our children and families. So we had uh, check-ins where you can check in your child, and in the beginning, it was, it was so bad that parents were like, I don't know how to check in my kid. And someone would have to show them and touchpad and, you know, iPad. And, and we had to think, how do we, how do, we do this? And then the, the thing would freeze up or the, the app would crash because it was a new app. And so we're trying to deal with this and people are waiting in line. And they're like, you know, trying to be patient in church. They like snap, but they're in church. So it's, there's, a, there's this little friction going on. And, you know, parents saying, you know, if you did a system like this, it would be better. So we're going through that whole season. And I thought, technology failed us. People failed us. We failed. But I can tell you this. Because we love children, because we love people, that never failed. When we cook, sometimes the rice, I understand, a little bit hard. It's okay. Or too mushy. Or how come no more of Portuguese sausage in my fried rice? You know, you're going to go through things like that. My smoothie, how come melted? You know, my coffee not strong, the tea cold. We're going to have all of that. But if done with love and we love one another, that never fails. So much so that we leave church miserably loved. 
We just don't know what it is, but there's something in us that says, but I like come back because God's love. Of, because of God's love, it, it, that, it's, it's the magnet that keeps us drawn to himself. And because of love, we never fail. And so when you love people, love them so much that they're going to ask you why. And then it's an open door to say, because God loves me. And he gave me a chance. He gave me an opportunity. Therefore, I love too. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So watch this. When you're trying to talk to someone about God and they're like, I don't want to hear it anymore. We have family members. I don't want to hear it. No, 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 don't invite me to church. In fact, they invite you to uninvite them. They tell you not to invite them anymore. They say, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want the invitation. I don't want to throw away or whatever they say. So for those people, just continue to love them. You don't have to quote scripture. You don't have to throw the Bible in their face. But if you continue to love them, they're seeing God every single time you love them. Because God is love. And when you're loving people in that kind of way, you've already introduced them to God. And it's through that love that they'll begin to draw closer to God because love never fails. Everything we say and do may fail. But when you love people with the love of God, it draws them closer to Him. Because here it is. People will forget what we say but they will never forget how we made them feel. And whenever you sense the love of God, that draws you closer back to himself. People need God's love, and so do we. And when you partner with God, we can love people even past their sins and their flaws because that's how he loves us. And we love people with the love of God. The second thing that we can partner with God with is generosity. This word generosity has so many meanings and, and it's, it's so broad. And God gave us a way to be generous. He's, he actually created us to be just like himself because he's a generous God. For God so loved the world that he gave. Yeah, he provides for us. He created all of this and everything we have, every electronic gadget that we have, paper product, wood, everything, everything that we see came from God. Oh, no, 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 the iPhone came from Steve Jobs. No, it did not. Yeah, yeah, Steve Jobs, the, the team, the Apple guys, the bunch of apples. They, they came together and, they, no, they didn't. They came up with an idea, but where do you think they got the resources? Everything came from God. God created everything. They manufactured everything out of what God created from the earth. Everything. Why? Because God is a generous God. Just think about that word generosity. Because when you think of generosity, it makes you feel good. If you're a generous person, or if you know a generous person, it makes you feel good. And normally, if you find a generous person, usually they're happy people. I have very rarely met someone who is a miserable, uh, like really, really angry, darkened, generous person. Like, how's it, uncle? I don't like, I don't like to talk to you. Here's some money. Like, you don't, you don't see that. Normally, a generous person, joy comes with it. Compassion comes with it. And there's a reason for that. In fact, God created us to be just like himself. And I got to admit, I do struggle 
in certain areas of generosity. Let me just tell you which ones I don't struggle with first. I do not struggle with tithing. I do not struggle with giving to God. I do not struggle with supporting our missionaries. I do not struggle with our air conditioner fund, which, by the way, is almost paid off, 16000 left to go, and if you want to give, you can give. I don't struggle with those things. <laughs> it's fine because I know the blessings of God, and I know that everything comes from Him. So when He speaks to our hearts for Heidi and I, we'll give to Him. No problem with that. I do have a problem with if I make ice cream and cake and you want a bite, I'm thinking, make your own. Like, I, I made my ice cream and cake per ratio. Like, this scoop of ice cream is going to match this piece of cake. So if you take a scoop of either one, I'm, I'm messed up. I, I can't, you, can't take a, you can't take a bite. Like, make your own. Popcorn and mochi crunch. If you take my mochi crunch, I'm thrown off. I'm so thrown off. I got to buy your own uh, something. Uh, if you want a sip of someone's soda, they bought that for themselves, and now they're thinking, oh, the whole thing was going to quench my thirst. Now I'm going to be 90% fulfilled. <laughs> so I, and I know some of us, we struggle, with, we struggle with the small things of being generous. That's where we struggle. But that's where God tests us. It's in those small areas of generosity. Have you ever had a child ask to share your cereal with them? And your cereal is like gourmet cereal. <laughs> and you give them like cornflakes. And <laughs> you, you try to give them the generic one. I don't want that one. Yeah, that's, a, that's the struggle with generosity. We, we want the better one. And it's almost like God is saying, I gave you my very best. And in the area of generosity, we struggle with that. But I found an article that helps us to understand what happens when we're generous people. And, and in this article, it, it, it talks about how children are generous people. In fact, Proverbs tells us this, that a generous person will prosper and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And children are probably the prime example of what it means to be generous. I had this one little girl, and I forget how old she was at the time, she came up to me and she handed me a $5 bill and she said, she called me Uncle Pastor. She said, hey, Uncle Pastor Sheldon, uh, this is for you. And I'm thinking, oh, she thinks, you know, I'm close to God, so I'm going to give it to him. So I said, okay, I'll go put this in the offering bucket. And she goes, no, 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 that's for you. And I'm trying to understand what she's saying. So I said, okay, I, no, I'm going to, you want to give this in, to God for an offering? She goes, no, 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 that's for you. And then she said this, because you're such a great pastor. She doesn't know me, so don't worry about that. She, <laughs> she said, because you're such a great, <laughs> a great pastor. And I, I, th I thought, that, that's so genuine. I was so thankful. It reminded me of the story when King David said, I'm thirsty, and his men went over the battle lines into enemy territory, into the fresh wells, the springs of water, brought back fresh water, and came to King David and said, hey, okay, I know you're thirsty. Here's a drink. And David takes the water and he says, what is this? He says, oh, we heard you were thirsty, so we got you some water. And he said, where did you get this from? Well, from the, from the springs on the other side. It was crazy. Like we had to sneak into enemy territory. He's saying, you risk your lives for me? Yeah, but you were thirsty, so we got you this water. And King David says this. He says, I I'm not even worthy to drink this water. And he poured it out as a drink offering to God. And the men were like, what are you doing? No, they were like, 
I think they learned something that day. They learned that when you, when you risk with that type of generosity, it's that meaningful to God. And so when this little girl gave me this $5, that's how I felt. It wasn't the amount of money. It was the fact that she did this out of her allowance. Her parents told me later because I had to double check. I said, you know, your daughter just gave me $5. They said, oh, yeah, that was her, that was her allowance. She worked for it and she got this. And I said, yeah, but she gave it to me. They said, yeah, they told me if it was okay if they gave it to you. I said, you guys know about this? They said, yeah, that's just her heart. And I thought, Lord, that's the heart I want to have. I want to have that kind of heart, a, a heart like yours, a, a generous heart. Because when we are generous, we ourselves will be refreshed. It's amazing how God created us. And in this article, it, it says, why are children like this? Well, it turns out that joyful generosity is a normal human state. And it continues on, we're biologically wired for sacrificial giving. That God has designed our bodies to be compassionate and generous. So they gave five things that happens when we're generous. And the first one was that joy is released. When we're generous and compassionate, joy is released. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 11, in your notes, that you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And the article continues, so perhaps... That's why God designed our bodies to be really happy about giving. Oxytocin is a powerful brain chemical that has a number of uses in our bodies. In women, it is essential for childbirth, for example. And research says the neurochemical gives us feelings of warmth towards others. And it's one of the chemical bases for our enjoyment of giving. A late-night session of board games with good friends or hugging a companion produces an oxytocin rush. Acts of compassion spur our bodies to create more oxytocin, which encourages even more compassion. So joy is released. The second thing that happens when we are generous is spiritual growth is enhanced. And the study showed that spiritual growth is enhanced as we give and other forms of compassion to, more, to do more than release brain chemicals. So when we're giving and other forms of compassion, it's more than just the chemicals being released. It actually stimulates areas of the brain that are involved in prayer. So if you, wanna, if you want to enhance your prayer life, be more generous. It's the anterior cingulate, which is involved in a lot of our thinking, our memory, attention, and motivation, but is also active in prayer, empathy, and compassion that is exercised. So since brain cells work in the same way as muscle cells, as they get stronger, the more you use them, prayer enhances our compassion. And compassion grows us spiritually. The other thing is that com uh, connections are strengthened. So when we're generous, connections are strengthened. In fact, humans have a unique kind of neuron called the von Economo or E-C-O-N-O-M-O, e however you want to pronounce it, which branches out into nearly every area of the brain and seems to be specialized in developing social awareness skills. So our ability to pick up someone's body language or to interpret voice inflection and to recognize when someone gives us a look, like, how's it? You know, checking them out or something like that. That look or like a confused look or stink eye. You know, things like that, that we can read their body language. And so this, this 
all of that relies on the von Economel neuron. And so does our ability to connect with others through our own body language. Once again, compassion exercises and develops this important brain cell. The fourth thing that happens when we're generous is that good gut feelings are promoted. So here's this, there's this one nerve called the vagus nerve. V-A-G-U-S. Just in case you're thinking of V-E-G-A-S, not vagus nerve. Well, you know, I go vagus all the time. I got to go more often, so I grow in the Lord. It's the vagus nerve which aids our digestion. But it is also known as the caretaking organ because of its involvement that when we care for others, and that gets uh, enhanced too. And when researchers showed a video of a, of a woman injured in an accident, they measured the vagus nerves of their subjects as well as heart rate and stress levels. And those who reported feeling the most compassionate also showed reduced stress and lower heart rates. Researchers have connected activity in the vagus nerve to feeling optimism, physical health, and greater artistic appreciation. And then the last thing that happens when we're generous is that our body is healed. Our body is healed. Scientists wanted to determine which multiple, uh, multiple sclerosis treatment would work best, so they had no idea that recruiting others who suffered from the illness would lead them to an unexpected direction. In fact, one group of subjects would learn coping skills. The other group would be able to discuss their illness with fellow multiple sclerosis sufferers. And after two years, the results were clear. Neither group improved as much as those who offered help by listening. Giving or being generous or compassionate, in this case, giving help, turned out to improve a person's health more than anything else. And the article concludes that perhaps the best thing scientists have discovered about compassion is that we can cultivate it. We can learn it. Our desire to give grows the more we give. And it turns out that we're better for it because of it. It's amazing what generosity can do. And if you think of the life of Jesus, he was the greatest giver of them all. So much so that he gave his very own life on the cross so that we could have eternal life. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18, Paul the apostle says to command them to do good. And he's teaching his younger protege, Timothy, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And what Paul was saying is we don't do good deeds to gain, the, to gain God's favor. We do good deeds because we have God's favor. We do good deeds because we have this relationship with God because we have eternal life, because we understand who God is. That's why we give and that's why we share, because he is already good. So we learn about love. We, we can partner with God in love and generosity. And the last thing is a word called discipleship. Now, it may seem like a Christian word, discipleship. Like, how is that partnering with God? How can discipleship be partnering with God? Well, discipleship is not just a Christian word, but it's also where you have a teacher and student. So when you have a student who's a disciple, that means they are a learner. So sensei, disciple. Teacher, disciple. You're a disciple when you have a teacher. And so when Jesus talks about make disciples, what he's saying is go find people 
so that they can learn from me. It's not just to get people to church and invite them to church and then that's it. No, it's so that they can learn from Jesus. That's the whole point of why we do what we do. That's why we say everything we do here is attached to a soul. The chairs we sit on, the buildings that we have. It's not just to have stuff. It's because we're thinking about someone who is far from God. Your family members and people who you love and your friends, your neighbors, people you work with. People are far from God, so we provide an atmosphere where they can be discipled, where we can get into the Word of God and learn together because God wants us to partner with Him in discipling all the nations that we can connect with people. I remember when I heard this word disciple, I would use it in the wrong context. I would use it to, to tell people what to do or, or show them where they were wrong. In fact, so much so that when we would go to like Walmart and we're driving down the parking area and you know how you have the arrows, you know, you go this way or that way. It's one way uh, or the time that it was at that time, uh, it was one way. So when I would turn down the right way, I'm going in the right direction and I see a car coming in the opposite direction, I'm thinking, you're going the wrong way. So I keep going straight and Heidi saying, hey, you got to move over, the car's coming. I said, no, no, we're, we're, we're right. They're wrong. She goes, yeah, but at least give them room. I said, nope. She goes, you got to at least pull over. I said, I don't need to do nothing. I'm right. They're wrong. I'm discipling them. I'm letting them know this is the, you're coming down the wrong way. And they could care less. They don't know. And, of course, I'll move on the side, and I'm thinking, yeah, you're going the wrong way. They're like, oh, where's the parking? They're not even paying attention to you trying to correct them. So that went out the door. But that's how I thought discipleship was. I thought discipleship was telling people they're wrong and that this is, this is the correct way to live. But that's not, that's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying that you're, you're called a disciple not because you know Scripture. It's not because you come to church. It's not because you wear a Jesus shirt or a bracelet. This is, this is not why they call you disciple. They call you disciple for a reason there's a reason why i call you disciple paul is teaching timothy how to work on that discipleship and so he he told timothy he said have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women on the other hand discipline yourself which is where we get the word disciple discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness in other words we are being discipled so that we can be more godly so that we can be more loving because by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another so that's what paul is telling Tim timothy he's saying this is people are not going to recognize you because you go to church or because you you know the word of god they're going to know you that you're my disciple by your love. Therefore, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds a promise for the present life and also for the life to come. In other words, we're partnering with God so that we can make disciples, so that He can make disciples, because that's the whole goal. It's so that we can follow Him. And when we're following Him, we become more of who he's making us to be. In other words, we reach our fullest potential. See, our goal here is never to create an atmosphere so more people can come to church so that we have a bigger church. That's never the goal. The goal is to always bring people to Jesus so that he can build big people. 
so that we, we're big on the inside of our character, our integrity, our love for God, and our love for people. He's building big people that we're bigger on the inside than the outside. It's okay to, to quote scripture and, and, and wear, you know, uh, Jesus shirts and hats and things like that. It's great. But I don't ever want my outside to be bigger than what I am on the inside. Because it's, it's building us up that God is trying to do. He's trying to build big people in us because the bigger the person and the bigger the character, then the bigger the influence, the bigger the love, the generosity, the spiritual maturity, and, and the bigger the person, the greater the impact in the world for Christ. As Matthew 7, 24 and 25 tells us that for any, for, therefore any, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. See, the bigger a structure you're going to build, a skyscraper or a building of this magnitude, the stronger the foundation has to be. And so when we talk about discipleship, the more God wants to use you or reach people from, uh, through you, the bigger the foundation needs to be. That's why we have our, our Sunday services, our midweek services, our rooted and growing, our, our Saturday morning uh, men's group and, and women's group. We have our, our Israel focus group. We have all of these different groups, not just so that we can gather, it's so that we can build a strong foundation so that God can use us in a greater way. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says something so profound that if we forget this, we miss everything. So we're going to read this scripture together as we close. And let's read this together. Ready? Go. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Yeah, without Jesus, we can do absolutely nothing. But here's the, here's the coolest thing. You may feel like you're not that effective for God. You may feel like or, or think to yourself, but I'm, I don't do that much. I come to church and then I try my best to apply it, but I, I mess up, I fail. I know Jesus, but I know I'm, no, I'm, I'm not where I need to be, but I'm trying to get there. And you may feel like the things you do have no impact and, and you're not making a difference. There's nothing that you're offering Jesus. But I tell you this, when you're connected with Jesus, even your nothing becomes something because you're connected with Jesus. But I can tell you this, and I've experienced this, whenever I try to do my greatest something without the Lord, it turns out to be nothing. That's why we stay connected with him. That's what Andrew was doing for his brother, Peter. He was saying to Peter, I know your potential, and I, I can see what's, what, what you can do. And if this is the Messiah, sky's the limit. Let's partner with this guy because he's the only one who can release our fullest potential. We've tried, we've tried, but there's something about this man. Let's go see him. And that's when Jesus changed Peter's name. It was actually Simeon or Simon. And he says, you, you are Peter. He gave him a new identity, a new vision. And he said to Peter, you're a great fisherman, but you are going to be an even greater 
fisher of men. It touched Peter's heart so much so that he wrote two letters that we still read today that God's one desire is that none shall perish, but that all would come to repentance so that we would never spend eternity without God. That's his desire. I pray that we would come to know him and that as we reach out to other people, that they will come to know him as Lord and Savior too. Would you bow your heads with me as we conclude this morning? Lord, we do pray for your grace and your forgiveness. And I do pray for those who are here today that if there's anyone here and you're saying, I, I, I need that, that heart of repentance. I, I, I want to change my ways. I want to be different. I want, I want God to be in my life. But I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know what to do. Well, I'm going to say a prayer with you. And if you're here and you're saying, I, I want to partner with God in the greatest partnership, and it's going to start with me saying yes to him first. If that's you, could you just lift a hand real briefly? And you're saying, I want God in my life today. I want, to, I want to receive him. I want to live for him. Okay, God sees your hands. Yeah, absolutely. Back here, God sees you. Yeah, it's a private decision. It's between you and the Lord. It's an eternal decision. Okay, God sees you right here. God sees you back there. God sees your hands. Yeah. He's giving you a fresh vision for your life. And he's going to repair and heal your heart. You can put your hands down. Lord, you see the hands, you see the hearts. I pray, Lord, for every single person who is saying yes to you today, that they will continue to walk with you because you will be with us always, even to the end of the age. I pray for all of us as we reach out to people, as we pass out invitations or we text someone or, or we just do a verbal invitation, that it would, it would bring people closer to you. We're about building big people, Lord. Sometimes it starts with an invitation to partner with you in the greatest partnership ever. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray and we all said together, amen.